0: bada bing action does that mean we're on that means we're on ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another episode of afternoon fm with Matthew Zaytun. i'm here with john j fathom in a continuation of our last podcast um so just to be uh give you guys full disclosure last podcast um it was a fair bit of clipping uh we were fairly wasted there's a lot of music but uh Shout out to Isotrope RX9 for uh, somewhat clearing up last podcast. And uh, here we are with the continuation of last time. I'm going to be sketching John as I'm interviewing him. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, John J. Fathom.
1: So smooth, so sultry. So sultry. Sultry Your like voice a salt pan. Like, melt, like melted butter. Like a bernaise sauce.
0: I've always identified as a bechamel, personally.
1: You really, you really are more of a, bernaise than you are a bechamel. I'm a bernaise more than a bechamel. What about a bolognese? Uh, not Italian enough.
0: Out of all the sauces of sauce, or out of out of the five sauces, I believe there's five or five roots. Oh, are there
1: are there five sauces? Let's hear them. Uh,
0: let's see. I got bechamel, hollandaise. The the meat sauce carbonara uh alfredo
1: i guess uh, that means you're done right there huh? i mean i, that's I all, guess those vaga are all the sauces vaga sauce doesn't exist Fucking. i mean does that count dressings no that's no, just
0: dressings aren't sauces though. yeah
1: i mean there's probably at least five in every category if you want to be simple there's like five roux. Five reds, five whites, five acidic, there's, five sweet. There's
0: five roux. Like the fucking uh, the butter shit, where you can do the brown roux, mm-hmm. and then there's like the other roux. And uh, I just remember hollandaise sauce being a being a big part of it. It
1: made it made well, it has its own. Hollandaise probably hangs out over there with frances and you know like other. Like what the fuck you throw in some lemon you throwing in some like other shit, but tomato sauce gravy is gravy not a sauce, so they taking taken that out of the picture so that they could- avoid it
0: gravy i i I don't identify I'm, uh, huh
1: man is gravy a sauce what are the uh, i don't get caught up in all that bullshit that sounds like a Rashad question what that is gravy a sauce? i will mix I will mix all these things and Call it gravy if you want, call it sauce if you want. You know, then we got to get into the conversation over aiolis and, you know, like, what's an aioli? What is a fucking sofrito? You know. Aioli was
0: identified as fancy mayonnaise. It was just, uh, just mayonnaise with shit in it.
1: Here we are, just ripping apart people's cuisines. Mm. Welcome to the show, folks.
0: Well, this is, uh, a call back to you. Mr. Fathom, you uh, once a chef, always a chef. I'd like to hear about your, uh, your adventures in the culinary industry.
1: I, don't, I mean, I'm really more a glorified cook, but I like the title chef because I think if you run a kitchen and you're in charge of the menu, that makes you a chef, and I've done that a bunch.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, but I wasn't uh, trained, nor do I study. So I wouldn't know the five sauces. And I I think every great chef probably has recipes and they want people to execute those recipes on demand. Mm. And I am very improvisational as a culinary wizard. I like making food um, with what I have and I like to make it flavorful and make it so that people love it. And I like to use all my resources and use all my stock And I don't really think twice, and I don't really uh, ever write a recipe down. So yes, I'm a chef, but if I meet a real, real chef, I'm like, hey, dog, I don't know. I can't remember all my temps. I don't remember my recipes. I didn't study the perfect biscuit and how to make the best bread. I just cook for a lot of people, and I keep them happy, and that to me is a chef. So." As far as where that started, I started that when I was, uh, well, I definitely started cooking because I'm always hungry, so my mom would let me make eggs, so I started making eggs. Mm -hmm. And then uh, once I was allowed to use the burner, I got in trouble because I started setting my toys on fire, Mm. so she stopped me from cooking for a little while. (laughs) But then she got tired of feeding me, so I was allowed to cook again. Uh, but I was just kind of treating it like uh, I'm hungry, and if I don't have to wait for you, uh, I can make my own food. Mm. But then I worked as a waiter. I, I couldn't wait to go to work. So I found an Italian restaurant within walking distance of my house, and I tried to get a job at 15, and they said, come back next year. So I waited till like, the day I turned 16, and I was, like, ready to get a job. Mm. And I worked as a waiter there for a while, from 16 to 18 and I felt like I was a natural at it I was just so swift mm. and attentive and zoom zoom zoom. I wasn't really personable as a waiter it was a catering job so I wasn't like welcome to so-and-so you know here we have these specials you know it's basically like as a catering menu it's always steak chicken fish or veggie it's the same fucking thing every day you know vodka you know like uh a uh vodka sauce or an alfredo for you know you know in in between an intermezzo a cocktail hour you know desserts at the end i got to do fun shit like um carve the pig or carve the lamb um my father was a hunter so i know how to break down animal stock so i looked forward to doing that and i got good at that so they let me do it but then we moved to pennsylvania when i was 18 and they were mad racist out there Mm. and I have a darker complexion than, uh, I have that swarthy Italian.
0: The, the, the the Sicilian eggplant.
1: I like being in the sun. I like being brown. You know, I, I like, I had long hair and a haircut. This is before I had tattoos or anything. Uh, and I got the swarthy Italian, but they thought I was Puerto Rican and, and in a small quiet town of Pennsylvania where. Most people are every version of white. And then if you weren't white, you were uh, considered black mm. or Puerto Rican. Uh, I was just... So much racism. The cops pulling you over every day. Like, it was just so stupid. But I couldn't get a job in any restaurant with two years of experience as a waiter.
0: Mm.
1: No one would hire me. So I got a job because I got, I got so... If you could imagine, like at 16, I, at 15, I couldn't wait to get a job. Mm. So at 18, I, I'm already out of high school. You move me to Pennsylvania, I got no friends, I have no way to make friends. I need a job so I can have a social life. Mm. And they won't give me a job. So I finally just say, Look, I'll do anything, give me a job as a dishwasher. So I took a job as a dishwasher and literally the racism only got worse Mm. because now I'm a dishwasher and now I'm treated like uh, uh, a second-class citizen. And like I'm still the same uh, cocky kid that I am. Mm. So the the blonde girls and uh, the waitresses that I would normally be able to hang out with in Queens are looking at me like I'm below them but they're like well you're, you're not too bad looking and you're about our age but I'll hang out with you or hook up with you as long as you don't tell anybody mm. so it's very just racist, racist uh, awful uh, so I got out of there as soon as I could and I got a job at Perkins mm. and I was uh, a uh, prep cook at Perkins and I had a really great time there I moved my way up from uh, prep cook to like head prep cook real quick And I really enjoyed that, doing inventory and doing all the food that all the cooks, you know, when you're a line cook, you have to like tickets coming in and you have to be fast and you have to like, you know, basically tell all the other, if you run the wheel, as they call it, um, you look at a ticket and there's four people at the table and, you know, uh, in a place like Perkins, they'll have names, like if it's breakfast, they'll be like the Tremendous Twelve. The Tremendous Twelve comes with, you know, three eggs, three pancakes, uh, three pieces of bacon, and, uh, you know, who knows whatever else the last fucking things are. Sausages, potatoes, whatever. So every time you look at an order, you have to know what's in it, and then you don't say, I need four Tremendous Twelves to your staff. You say, I need four orders of sausage, four orders of this, da 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 So you have to expedite. Mm. So I didn't have to do any of that. As a as a head prep cook, I just had to make sure that they had, like, a shit ton of meatballs, a shit ton of gravy, a shit ton of pancake batter, mm. you know, and I could just, like, listen to my music in the back, and I could just, as long as I got my job done and I kept everything moving, um, I was great. And if I kept my cooks flush, mm. my cooks loved me. So I'm in Pennsylvania. They think I'm this one of, one of very few Puerto Ricans. <laughs> uh, working in the back and uh, I make some friends some Puerto Rican friends uh, the white people still don't trust me uh, then I move on to uh, a French uh, bistro mm.
0: um,
1: well I actually did move my way up in Perkins to line cook but I left there shortly after once I had my line cook experience mm. Um, I left. So then I went to this French bistro and I learned how to make beautiful fucking sandwiches Mm. and beautiful pastas. And by then I'm hooked. So now I'm like 1920, you know, now I'm really kind of hooked on food. I like it. I like cooking. I like being fast. I like being effective. I like being efficient. Um, I definitely did a lot more cooking jobs than I can possibly remember. um, But... In any case, from that point on, you know, I go back and forth between doing off-premise catering, where they'll pay you handsomely to finish off a bunch of food uh, for, like, a big party. Mm -hmm. So I got to, I was in Miami, when I lived in Miami, I got to, like, cook for Don Shula and Dan Marino, and when I was uh, back in New York City, I got to cook for Ralph Lauren, and all these people who are like high class profile people but the recipes are simple and my job was easy it wasn't like I was yes I was dealing with Dan Marino and Don Shula and fucking Ralph Lauren on a regular basis because I would do fashion week for Ralph Lauren or you know anytime Dan Marino had a party we were at his house or the guy who owned progressive insurance like we would do all his parties and I'd be the chef on site but the food is coming from a chef above you And a commissary kitchen is prepping a lot of it. And then you're there for looks. You finish it off. You make sure it's all to taste. You Mm. make sure it looks good. You make sure that it feels good. You make sure that everyone is plating it right. You're like overseeing staff. Mm. and You're making sure that the flavor meets the uh, standard. But easy work for good pay. Mm. Uh, So you're not learning a whole hell of a lot. Most of the food that... I learned to cook was in commissary kitchens mm-hmm. and commissary kitchens put out bulk but you have to do consistency uh, mm. and I liked that and then line cooks you learn speed um, short order cooks you learn customization mm. prep cooks you learn uh, similar to commissary cook stuff uh, so I loved all the different versions and then I got really big on Hey Josh! Yo, no, this motherfucker doesn't know. How
0: that?
1: How are you? What? I'm doing a fucking recording. Can you get the dog not barking? That's oh, <laughs> all good. Fucking motherfucker. You
0: fucking
1: motherfucker, uh, you. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
0: I always, I always saw line cooking a lot like a dance. That was
1: my favorite part. I, those really great line cooks are incredible. Oh, that's the funnest job. It. It's and then I also had a great job doing being the expediter. So that's the guy that helps the... Runner. No, the, the expediter calls it. Yeah. Like he looks at the ticket and he tells uh, the whole kitchen what to do, but he doesn't cook. Mm. He just calls it, which is really helpful uh, if you did that job first because then when you run the wheel... Yeah, you have already expedited. You already know how to break things down. I mean, the really it's it's not just cooking that that I love. I love um, the camaraderie in the kitchen. If you if you yeah, it's a pirate ship. If you go to uh, if you listen to Anthony Bourdain talk about kitchens and food and in Kitchen Confidential especially or his early years when he talks about it, he romanticizes it in a way that's not over exaggerating it's realistic it realistic and it really makes you miss the kitchen uh and all of the zen that you can get out of it and all of the pirate lifestyle that you can get out of it and like working on the under heat i worked in jersey city too i caught a job in jersey city working out what is now surf city but before that i can't remember what it was called um and it was during the summer and i worked the grill the outdoor grill and two thousand people a night would fill this nightclub. They had eleven bars. Mm. And obviously I didn't serve two thousand people, but uh you've got hundreds of people online for burgers, sandwiches, all that stuff. So I did that also at McCarran Pool in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And I was the only cook, you know, in this whole giant, you know, pool that they turned into a flea market or whatever. Every summer, and I just had to cook nonstop you know keep the fires going and keep cooking mm. for six hours, eight hours and uh, there's something really thrilling about uh that high octane high energy under the fire, creating systems, and uh, I got that you know first suns first sun, first sun syndrome. Mm which is that very you want to deliver you want to uh impress you want to like be a good boy you want to like nail it you know Uh, a lot of first sons go to join the military that kind of thing
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh i just liked coming up with effective uh
0: ways of ways of
1: delivering Mm. and um I still do, but honestly, like, after all the years of cooking that I did, on, off, on, off, on, off, uh, the cooking that I do here sometimes is the most, uh... Rewarding? Not necessarily rewarding, but, like... I don't even know how to say it, because it's not, like... The stress isn't there. There's nobody saying, John, where the fuck is my, you know table five, you know, no one's yelling at me, there's no clock that I have to match, but I give myself uh, challenges, and I try to learn everybody's, like, you know, this person likes steak rare, this person likes steak, you know, medium rare, this person uh, doesn't like steak at all, this person doesn't like fish, this person can't eat gluten, you know, like you'd like to try to learn all the people, and the longer you know them, the better you get at it, but... Uh, when you, I'd I like to give myself a challenge of trying to plate every uh, meal, um, and that becomes the sometimes the most challenging because I have to cook for 12 people and get all my timing right mm. so that I can put uh, 12 people out for dinner, mm. or six or seven people out for breakfast, or what have you, and. Uh, Without all the accoutrement of a of a real commercial kitchen.
0: Mm.
1: But cooking also is a really, like, zen uh, practice. Like, when I my ADD is out of whack, uh, I'll just go into the kitchen. Because I know if I just cook for everybody, I will have... So my ADD is... is it is revolves around uh, success. If I'm working, I'm successful. If I if I if I do what I'm he- here to do, if I get my focus and I do what I'm here to do, I'm successful. Output. Uh, so artistically, that can get daunting because you don't necessarily know what you're gonna do yet. You need creative uh, juices. And juices going. Um, hey, Josh, can I ask, ask you a favor? When you leave, can you actually go up to the fifth and just turn off? Um, there's like a there's food cooking upstairs. There's like a pot roast. Yeah. Just turn the flame off.
0: Also, this is this is podcast worthy, but but a dog growling in the back. Is We're
1: talking about food. We're talking about food right now. We're talking about food on the podcast, and I have food cooking. Oh, okay, I got you. Appreciate it. But yeah, dog barking never is good. Never dog barking. Never good. Um... You mind getting me some ice? While you're doing it? What? No, I'm trying to help. While you're in there, can you get me some ice? Just two cubes? Or one cube? No, don't leave it out here. Leave
0: it out here.
1: You'll see when you go up to the stove up on the five, it's a very low, low flame. It could probably stay on a low, low flame all night, but I just I know I'm going to get distracted, so if you just turn it off, leave it covered. Just turn it off. Yep and leave it open, please. Yeah You can do it, chance. Use those muscles. this poor guy over there. No to the the editor. Anyway. All right. All right. Use the fire escape. Uh, We're back,
0: ladies and gentlemen. We're using the fire escape of our minds to achieve the goals of our dreams. What's he doing?
1: You stay right here, Tug. Dogs, dogs. Where yeah, about so dogs? we're talking about food. All right. Still a lot of food. Food. Uh, I really enjoy cooking for people here. Mm. But basically, I feel like all those years of, of uh, pressure and training or whatever, I just give myself the challenge of using it and doing it uh, here. Mm. It's okay. Hold on. Yeah, he See, went if out. F- if F- I didn't open that, if somebody could open the structure, I
0: don't
1: know what he'd yeah. do. Oh, wait, maybe he came in. No, Josh did, yeah. Yeah, uh, he came in. Yeah, so, I don't know, man. I, I like cooking for people here because uh, I give myself the challenge, but I do miss the camaraderie of a kitchen. And I, I do think like Anthony Bourdain is right. Like if you went to work uh, in any job, um, especially I feel like in the arts, um, cause I think most artists are messy uh, and they don't, we put obstacles in front of ourselves. Like if you, if your shop goes to shit or your workstation goes to shit, anytime you imagine yourself doing your art, you come up with an excuse why you're not going to do it because you don't feel like cleaning your station so you just go well I'm not going to I can't I can't draw or paint or sculpt or whatever until this is cleaned and I don't feel like cleaning it so I'm just not going to do it and then you put it off and then you feel like shit and then you feel like a loser and you don't get anything done and then you just it just it compounds and compounds and compounds so uh, Anthony Rodane talks about keeping your station uh, setting up your station every day the way we as cooks do you know, we have our towels tucked away and hidden. We've got our favorite knife, our favorite spatulas. We've got our seasoning. We've got the whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Can you close that door, though? Tuck is running amok. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll close it. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: There's a, there's a, there's a saying in directing and in cooking, uh, in directing it's mise en scene, where everything in the scene is like, everything is in its place. There's mise en place, everybody's mise, and mise en place means everything in its right place, and that's, uh, it's essential for most fucking, like, things in life, bro. It's fucking... There's
1: nothing like... Having everything you need for a rush. If everything is in place, you are ready to work. Mm -hmm. And if you've been uh, blessed enough to do both line cooking and uh, art, you have no excuse. Mm -hmm. Because when you... So like when the breakfast shift is over and the lunch or dinner shift is starting, sometimes that's a new... uh, Chef or cook um, the breakfast dudes they 're different breed than the dinner dudes, mm-hmm. and when you are taking over someone 's old station, that changing of the guard is also important, mm-hmm. so like not only are they supposed to have everything in place for themselves they 're supposed to leave it. For the next guy, mm. in a manner in which uh, he feels good, and that changing of the guard becomes very respectful. And there's a few minutes sometimes if you do it all right, where you are standing around looking at the uh, the little ticket machine, mm. waiting for the next ticket to come in, and you're almost like clapping your fucking spatulas, and you know you're like, come on let's see it let me get my first motherfucking ticket everything's fucking the grill is fired up the oil is new the fucking flat tops are all hot bricked and cleaned new fucking set of towels my knife is sharp uh, the clock is just starting I know we are going you know it's you know let's say dinner service starts at 4 you know you're going to midnight you're like it's 4 to midnight like let's go there's going to be sweat. There's going to be angry, sad, scared waiters. Uh I might piss someone off, someone might get pissed off at me. We're going to get things are going to be get sent back. We're going to be upset. Uh
0: And it's all beautiful. But
1: when the station is ready, you know you started the day ready. So let's see if you keep the fucking doors on the hinges.
0: I miss cooking a lot. It's a lot
1: of fucking fun. And that's, I think, where a lot of my criticism comes when I start yelling at artists here. Because mm. I kind of, like, I'm like... Almost kind of like a... Who raised you? You know, like... You wouldn't last a second on the... You line. wouldn't last a second in my kitchen! You know, like, you gotta be. You have to be. You have to be part of a team. You have to know your place. You have to be good at your job. You have to serve the greater good of the of the whole restaurant like when the waiter starts going into the fry
0: cook section and when the fry cook starts going into the fucking anyone's uh, walking the behind you
1: while you're working like get the fuck out of here like I just feel like uh, that that system uh, the kitchen system yeah. is so good at establishing uh, continuity momentum Hierarchy, uh, flow state, uh, effectiveness and efficiency, um, aptitude, resilience, uh, calmness under pressure, uh, you know, all of that stuff preparation and advance, um, execution, cleanup in the back, you know, on the back end, like uh, no hard feelings, teaches you thick skin. Mm -hmm. Somebody yelled, it screamed in your face and you did your job better and you hated them for yelling at you but you did your job better and then if you can just be over it because the fires aren't happening anymore and the pressure isn't on and you guys are still fucking friends
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, all of that like really makes you a better person so uh, it's just a shame when artists are so sensitive and they just want the world to do uh bend over backwards for them yeah. and to accept their notions as valid and to accept their art as valid and accept their, their style um, and you know, you know they were told that a messy desk meant you were a genius not true you know they say if you do what you love you'll never work a day in your life not true are you fucking kidding me i've done what i've loved for as long as I could well over twenty years i've worked my entire time. My hands hurt everything hurts. you run into all sorts of issues you've got uh naysayers and haters you've got uh, weather income you've got you know uh, business owners or gallerists or clients or Any number of people in front of you that you have to uh, either impress or not lose as a client. You sometimes have to take the bus or walk because you don't have the money. Not having money is work. So if you do what you love and the money will come, or if you do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life, that's bull motherfucking shit. And if you aren't working <clears throat> uh, because you're doing what you love, then you're being lazy about it. Mm. You're getting away with it. Like, you should be working while doing what you love. Mm. Like, none of this shit, none of that shit's real. It's all
0: legwork. Art, art
1: should have a boot camp the way... Uh,
0: military.
1: Not military. Like a kitchen. Like, yeah. Like, I don't want you to go to art school. I don't want you to go uh, to... Any kind of corporate designation i don't want you to have to learn about the uh the people of the past in order to know you have to know the past in order to know history in order to you know not repeat it and you have to know about the masters of art in order to make good art Fuck you no you don't you just have to have an imagination and, and a will to succeed in execution and you could be a great artist i don't believe that all artists are born everyone's born an artist i don't believe that fucking bullshit I think that you have the potential to be an artist, of course, but I've seen some really fucking lame square minds. It's a train, and they don't have the... You could train a genius to be born as uh, uh, <clears throat> has been proven. If you started at a young age, you can train someone to be a genius. You can train someone to be a tennis champion. You can train someone to be a golf champion. You can train someone to be an artist, of course. But the idea that all of us are born artists and we lose it, Is nonsense like there are some square thinkers who don't think outside the box who don't have a creative bone in their body who don't imagine cannot think in pictures who need everything laid out for them or it confounds them and they are completely lost and that nonsense that they perpetuate is just one of the many bullshits that life is that people are perpetuating that we are, we are all born artists. Bullshit. If you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Bullshit. If you do what you love, the money will come. Bullshit. Where's my fucking money? I've been doing what I love for fucking well over 20 years. Where's my money then? Send it on over, bitch. Like, I, you, go ahead, check the records. Let the records show. I've been doing what I love the whole motherfucking time. Money doesn't just come because. <clears throat> Obviously, you want to rise above the froth and that's when the money comes but also it's already been proven that in the art world especially if you don't go the scholastic kind of collegiate route uh, or advertising route or computer graphics you know uh, digital AI route if you're like a traditional say artist the way to make it often is about who you know Mm. so
0: I feel like marketing is more of a fucking trade of the arts now. Exactly. Than you the could actually. Actual
1: look at the fucking. Those kids who sing the I'm an island boy. Those kids are rich beyond <laughs> belief. Like they've got diamond grills, you know, like laced out watches, and they made one song that everyone made fun of.
0: Yeah, but they do look like pterodactyls.
1: Yeah, and that'll help.
0: It'll help, but you have to look. You have to really want.
1: There is a selling of the soul to the devil. Of oh, sorts. I've already sold it. I haven't gotten anything back for it. I think maybe because if you give the for the viewers, John, give away the shot. milk for free. <laughs> if you give away the milk for free, the, de- they won't the devil buy the cow. That's where right, the devil has been milking me for years. He's my muse. I, what the fuck am I supposed to do?
0: The devil is John Fathom's muse. Let the record show.
1: There's nothing like darkness mm. as a muse.
0: Darkness does inspire a lot of fucking pieces.
1: It's I'm not, not inspired.
0: If, if everybody was happy, I don't think there would be any art. Actually, the for, I don't even like I don't even the like pe-
1: the look of happy. That like I like the I like the look of happy, like uh, like drunken like reverie.
0: Yeah, you like I the, like that. You like bells Yeah, a little uh, a little. Uh, Bacchus, if you will.
1: I don't like people who just smile when they say hello to you. And you haven't met them before. And they're just smiling at you.
0: Like Canadians.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I I can't do that. Stop. I don't know why you're so happy.
0: Well, they got health care and shit. That'll do it.
1: That'll do it. But cynicism also is uh, a hallmark of uh, American... uh, Like tradition or whatever we like the comeback kid we want we don't want someone who came out came from nothing and became rich that's easy we want you to come from nothing get rich fall down and then get back up like rocky yeah that's what we want that's the american dream
0: like moses a little bit or the prodigal son where uh you know what i mean like is you got to return yes yes it's not you have to go away that. to make a comeback yeah it's, if not, you're just a one-hit-one there. You want to live your life like that? No, nobody does. Mm. You got to keep going. I feel like that's the biggest thing in the arts nowadays, man. It's just it's endurance.
1: And uh, It is endurance. You have to, unfortunately, uh, you need endurance for your own uh, self-worth. hmm and you need endurance uh, because it really does take the art world and the world in general to, to look at you. Because mm. um, if you do it with integrity, if you're not trying to be famous, if you're like, I want my art to speak for itself, then you have to bust your ass. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to get your art all over the fucking place and you have to, like, get it in front of the right eyes or, you know, as luck may have it, the right person falls in love with it and talks about it. But you got to get it out there. Get it out there. Get it out there. Mm. Um, When it's the art for the art's sake, but you're trying to uh, be, you know, a name brand or whatever. No. But in order to do that, you really kind of do need endurance because also if you are a flash in the pan, the money runs out, and then what are you going to do with yourself? So uh, I think a lot of... Artists, especially musicians and stuff, they learn about other means of income and other ways to, you know, you know. A little
0: bit of merch.
1: You got fucking Anthony Hopkins, uh, and Brad Pitt doing watch commercials in Japan. Mm. You know, like there's ways to like keep the the brand going, get the money coming in. Um, so that's an endurance test as well, because like, you're like, I can't only, I can't do an action movie a year. Yeah. (laughs) And when it comes to the visual arts. I think it's a little more psychological. Like, you beat yourself up based on how often you're doing a show or completing a body of work, comparing yourself to the other people in your demographic or your uh, age or whatever. Uh, Comparison is the thief of joy, though. Definitely is, man. I don't know. Comparison and competition are are healthy. Yeah. I like to know where my contemporaries are now. Yeah. Cause I know that like when I moved to Jersey city was when I was my most fertile, ready to work. Mm. I came to Jersey city looking for a warehouse. Uh I'm ready to work mm. and you work your way up. You work your way up. You take a lot of pitfalls, get a lot of hits. You know, and you want to, when you look back 10 or 20 years later, you want to say, "Who's still making art and/or making a living off of it?" Sure. That way you know you know where you fall. It's a good way to see how your timing is. Mm. I understand that. And not a lot of people make it. So like it's not like uh, I'm sure it happens in every uh, occupation, but like a real estate guy. He's going to compare himself, how much property does he... How many properties he gets, you know, blah, 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 blah. The... psychology of a real estate guy, he's just trying to flip those properties and make more money. The artist is always going to beat himself up about... Is he selling out? Is he producing enough is he or she or they or anyone like doing what they can be doing using their time well Uh, are they any good at marketing are they any good at uh, speaking to people getting out there if you want people to come to your shows you gotta go to people's shows Mm. or be a legend you know and have you know the marketing budget and everything else that's also a work if you're going to everyone else's shows, you're not in the studio.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a difference. That's like between like sales. I feel like it falls into sales and networking and all this shit. And that was the biggest thing. That's that's my biggest pet peeve with filmmaking, honestly, is that there's all this planning and execution and fucking. Da-da-da-da-da. Here's the budget. Then we gotta go, bring it to an Excel sheet. How we're gonna talk to everybody? Let's fucking do this. It's like you know. Oh, let me fucking network. And it's like,
1: dude, it's it's. Uh, well, there's really no better. Um, I would put a conductor above a director, but and maybe a air traffic controller above that. That's a. But
0: that's a real producer.
1: <clears throat> the. Uh, the job of a director is to oversee all the moving parts. Mm. And unfortunately the moving parts also have to do with budget and everything else. Yeah. Not just the vision of a movie, yeah. you know. Um and if you're really good, you could just put that on someone else, you know, but uh you do have to understand like, well, what can I do for this money? And that's one of the hardest parts about doing <clears throat> custom building for me is the materials are always changing the prices are always changing wood and everything else you have a basic ballpark but things change and there's so much to to know uh that how do they know like you've got actors that work for the base pay you've got actors that have demands you've got like you know it's to keep an idea on a budget like a director has a vision for a movie, but then he has to keep everything in budget. And then every one of his actors have a fucking budget. And, like, it's, yeah. you know, a writer and everything else. It's like, that kind of moving parts is too much.
0: So it's ridiculous, bro. And as know.
1: it is, like, you know, like, I get a taste of that from being uh, in an art commune and just knowing that there's all these different actors and all these different moving parts. And you have to understand all that. And that's only, like, 12, I, I think at most I had uh, 20 tenants um, at 660. Um, that's a lot of emotions. Yeah, every yeah. single one of them are artists. Actors are notoriously more diva. Yeah. So like you are, as a director,
0: you got to deal uh, with all this, and you just want you just want the piece at the end of the day because it's like a child. It becomes every single one of the pieces are like children to you. It's very, uh, it's and it's all this like even fucking looking at the productions that they're shooting now in Patterson, and I'm like. It's like fifty thousand dollars. I mean, like each day is at least fifty grand for like these people just to hire everybody out here, get all the shit going, all the moving parts of. Oh, did this fucking end up here? Did the rental house go here? The I uh. I'm like kind of half and half on it. I'm like, you know, maybe I want like a big ounce budget and maybe I don't. I don't know. But I definitely want to be able to make more.
1: Things. I mean, I think any budget that someone gives you. Is a blessing, yeah. Cause coming up with money to do anything artistically sucks, yeah. And uh, I got really good at doing assemblage and mixed media and DIY stuff because I had no choice. And you know, uh, opportunity, you know, oppression, or what is it? The that's the proving. What ground. is it? Adversity is the mother of all invention, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like being put in a situation where you need to do something is a great inspiration to come up with you know ideas mm. and I love it, and that 's why I like to work quickly and I like to work with whatever's on hand um, but when someone has a budget you 're like, Oh, I could spend that budget on better materials, I could outsource somebody doing some of this kind of labor um so all that stuff is a is a giant blessing, and I think you have to you have to prove your uh your value in a one of a few ways. You either prove that you could make something out of nothing uh, and you're worth the money or you prove uh, that you are a charming, charismatic uh, person who sells people dreams mm-hmm. and then you have to like back it up. Back somehow. it up. Uh, Meet the minimum. Yeah, or you already have that money you know from family and you know how to like throw it together but most of us come from the something out of nothing uh, place and I've put together something out of nothing for so long like it'd be a delight to have a budget hmm. a delight
0: how do you feel the transition from being like the proving ground of Jersey City to now being somewhat of like an elder statesman what was the last part? Like coming from a proving ground such as Jersey City and going through the legend that was Six Sixty, and now being somewhat of an older statesman, how do you how do you feel? I mean, it's like have you? It's like nobody was,
1: knows me in Patterson, so it's and actually nobody knows me in Jersey City anymore, you know, or anybody really. Like Jersey City has changed so quickly that uh, all the old heads, uh, in order to stay. Uh, uh, relevant in Jersey City is to, to, you have to, you have to, everything that you did and all the legend status and all the like proof that you built because you know, you have to imagine the city is growing by tens and tens of thousands. Mm. You know, like uh, as that sweeps through, it doesn't matter that you had 200 uh, friends that knew what you were up to when you were in a small scene you were a big fish in a small pond no matter, like, when it all boils down. I think I had I think a max, you know, if we used Facebook or whatever as a, a measure um, me and one of my other friends in Jersey City, we had maybe 2,000 friends in common. Mm. So that means like, at biggest we knew that may, around that many people yeah. together. But you never see that many people in one shot, you know, that's just a, almost like a Accruing. a measure of your, your reach um, but Jersey City has grown by the tens of thousands so if I stayed in Jersey City I would still have a significant uh, difficulty trying to keep the name you know or the uh, impression going now I did have a four story building so it's a lot easier if you're throwing parties parties you, you get 200 300 400 people mm. through you know blah 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 you, you meet all the people Um, So, I don't have that community, I'm here in Patterson, in Patterson nobody really knows me. We're starting over again, Uh, there's not a lot of people from Jersey City that are coming over to Patterson, um, other than the tenants, you know, and artists that we work with. Um, It's a lot like starting from scratch, but it's starting from scratch. Uh, with uh, wisdom albeit cynicism. Like 20 year old 24 year old John thought anything was possible and knew nothing. Endless energy and confidence but knew nothing. Uh, 46 year old John knows nothing but has seen plenty so doesn't have a boundless energy and confidence and isn't just like wow everything is possible I'm more practical I'm more uh, deliberate and uh, I don't waste my time on listening to people uh, shoot the shit come up with some you know dreams of what they're gonna do or what if we no 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 tell me what you're gonna do don't tell me what you'd like to do tell me what you're gonna do i don't want to collaborate with you at all if i haven't seen that you are like a diehard uh deliberate like you know i will get the job done motherfucker if you crack under pressure, if you complain, if you whine, if you can't come up with the research, if you can't do what you say you're gonna do. Like, but when I was 20, I believed everybody meant well. Everybody meant well. Everyone could do it if we all just tried. I don't buy that shit for a minute. Now I just want uh, seasoned professionals who uh, are a really good time to work with, A really good time to uh, relax and party with afterwards and get their job done and don't need to be micromanaged and they just they know what their job is and I know what my job is and they communicate effectively and you know the outcome uh, behooves all of us and uh, if they are younger or less experienced they want to learn and if they are on the same level or better they're gonna deliver and that's just that Put right. your money where your mouth is. All right, with that, I feel like that's our closing statement.
0: Tuck uh, Tuck's giving me a little bit of a gesture, but uh, ladies and gentlemen, the second part of the John J. Fathom interview. Uh, thank you for sticking with us. Uh, this is Afternoon FM. Fathom uh, out. No, I'm not done. He's not done. Part ladies. three. All right, we now, go right here we go. Now we go to part three. All right, all right, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. Can we smoke? Yes, we can. Uh, (laughs) we're going to give a quick, uh, a quick cut and then we'll come back back.